It is Tuesday, September 22nd, 2020, and you are listening to the Federalist Forum, a constitutional think tank for every patriotic American. Today on the Federalist Forum, I'm going to discuss the impending next round of riots in our streets and also talk about election year precedent regarding Supreme Court vacancies. Coming up next on the Federalist Forum. Good morning. Welcome to the Federalist Forum. I'm your host, Tom. Thank you for tuning into the podcast that's become a popular resource for conservative truth and activism. The podcast where facts don't care about your feelings, and neither do I, quite frankly. (laughs) I hope today finds you well, healthy, and more resolved than ever to be in the fight for the survival of our republic. We have a real battle ahead of us and cannot get complacent. As each day passes, we need to be louder, we need to be more convicted, more relentless, and more informed. And we need to be aware. Our streets are about to get very heated again, and I will get into that in just a bit. But first I want to jump into the hottest burner on the stove, uh, the Supreme Court. There's so much talk with regards to the events unfolding following the passing of Justice Ginsburg, but I want to key in on two in particular as it pertains to you know what's about to happen with the Supreme Court. First, the topic of precedence. There is so much ugliness being spewed by the left right now with regards to nominating a justice in an election year, particularly after Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham said in 2016 that the Senate shouldn't confirm in an election year, and both are now ready to confirm a justice in an election year. Listen, for any Democrat out there whining this, but four years ago you said blah blah stuff. Do we want to go back to all of the times you said a president shouldn't be impeached because it was political and divisive? referring to Clinton, but then you turned around and weaponized impeachment yourselves in an election year at that, Um, you've lost all credibility and any right to bitch about what was once said when you've gone against yourself repeatedly over the last four years, hell, even longer than that. You have treated the right, those of us, the conservatives, with such contempt and bitter ugliness the past couple of years that I personally really don't give a damn about what might or might not have been said four years ago by Graham or McConnell or anybody else on the right. But bigger than that is the glaring difference in circumstances. In 2016, you had an outgoing Democrat president and a Republican Senate. Why on earth, especially knowing the GOP would be taking back the White House, would the Senate confirm the nomination of a justice from the most progressive president the country had ever seen? You don't have to like it. But you're just plain stupid if you can't make sense of that. If you go back to 1864, okay, we're going back more than 150 years to the point of which we truly started to see a prominent two-party caucus as we see, you know, today. If you go back to 1864, there have been eight instances of both a nomination and confirmation of a new Supreme Court justice happening in an election year. In every single instance, the party nominating was also in control of the party confirming. Five times it was the GOP in 1864, 1872, 1880, 1912, and 1932. And three times it was the Democrats. They did it twice in 2016 with with two justices, and then again in 1940. In every single instance, the party that controlled the White House and the Senate, that, that they made the confirmation, the nomination and confirmation. That is the precedent here. That is the election year precedent. There have only been two times when there was a cross-party scenario. 2016, of course, was the most recent. The other one that liberals will point to was the nomination and confirmation of Justice Anthony Kennedy. Kennedy was nominated by Reagan, a Republican, and confirmed by a Democrat-controlled Senate. 
That's the only time precedent was ever broken. But as always, there's deeper context to that. There's more information to that story. Now, Kennedy was nominated in November of 1987, which technically is not an election year. 1988 was the election year. So the nomination came more than 14 months before a new president would be inaugurated. The Senate confirmed very early in 1988. And two big points here are that Democrats had an overwhelming majority in the Senate that they weren't going to lose that year. And also, much like 2020, the Democratic Party didn't have a viable presidential candidate to put forward for the White House in 1988. And they knew that. So, I mean, was the Senate going to sit on a SCOTUS nomination for four years? Of course not. It would have been suicide for them. And I mean, that that is unprecedented. They knew they had no shot at the White House. Michael Dukakis was their candidate that year. Bush won 40 states and over 400 electoral votes. It was never a question. It was never even close. He, he smashed the popular vote even. So they knew that there was no way they were going to get the White House. Uh, so that anomaly, the Reagan nomination anomaly, is a very weak attempt by Democrats. The precedent in an election year is for a same-party nomination and confirmation to be pushed through. And aside from that, there's nothing in the Constitution that says a president cannot. He holds office until January 20th. He can wage war on his last day. He can grant clemency on his last day. He has full powers until the next president is sworn in, or he himself is sworn in again, which will be the case in 2021. The next thing I want to talk about uh, quickly this morning is uh, for the nation to be prepared for the heated attacks, uh, you know, against Christians that are likely coming along with this, uh, like we've never seen before. The candidate that President Trump will likely select, uh, all of those on his short list, are very devout to their faith, even though still keeping that separate from their jurisprudence. Their religion, the Christian religion, will be attacked relentlessly during this confirmation process. All of you will be who practice it. It's already starting. Stay true to your beliefs and stay level-headed. Try to confront these arguments from a place of knowledge. I encourage you to go back, if you have time and are interested, to episode, episode 5 of my podcast from earlier this year. It's titled Religious Liberty. Whatever your listening platform, uh, Anchor, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon, so many more that I'm on, just look for the podcast titled Religious Liberty. I go into a lot of detail, real tangible examples and proof of the Christian founding of the nation. Yes, we were founded a nation about freedom from religious persecution. But the founders' intent with that regard was that it not be established that the nation call itself a Catholic nation or a Protestant nation or a Lutheran nation. It was that each of those denominations and so many more being practiced among Christians be able to coexist and practice without persecution. Denominations is the very key word. And the intention of our founders as it pertained to the importance of religion, specifically the Christian religion in the New World. It was the aversion to the sectarian persecution within Christianity that was playing out through Europe at the time. I don't want to stray too far from the point, but there is nothing that mentions mosques, for example, nothing that mentions the Ottoman Empire, which was vast and powerful at the time and situated adjacent to Christian Europe when the Constitution was drafted. Not one word can be found except in the aversion to it, as mentioned by several of the founders in other written pamphlets of the time. The point is that systems of laws derive from systems of moralities. And the United States, our legal system, is derived from the diversity of sectarian moralities within Christianity. Again, one doesn't have to like that, but it doesn't make it untrue. It, I hope you'll check out that earlier podcast of mine because I go into much greater detail and examples of the things documented and said by our, our founders and the actions taken. And I say this as someone who is not an adherent to religion, but someone who appreciates truth and facts. 
it, my point in all of this again is that Americans Christians are uh, about to endure a modern day inquisition at the hands of the left in all of the brutal ways they have attacked our president and his supporters from day one so be prepared because it's inevitable it's gonna come it's happening now moving on to the next inevitability and that's more violent demonstrations in our streets it's expected that the Kentucky AG will make an announcement at any time, probably today even, this afternoon, I'm expecting, um, regarding the officer-involved shooting of Breonna Taylor and whether or not uh, it will bring charges against any of those officers. The local fed federal magistrate has shut down the federal courthouse in Louisville this week, as well as the federal immigration office. The National Guard is already in town. The Department of Homeland Security has increased um, the federal protective police uh, around the federal facilities. The Louisville Police Department has canceled all vacations for their officers. The city has put fencing up in many areas. And just about every private business that I've been able to see on any live streams are boarded up from the bottom 20 feet up um, the establishments. Folks, it's going to erupt in Louisville, no matter what the decision is by the AG. Um, and that's sad because even if the decision is to charge the officers, is that not what these groups want? And why would they go out and destroy the city further? But we all have our our hunches as to why that is. But the best case scenario is that the demonstrations stay just that. Demonstrations, marches, speeches. But I fear that won't be the case, and we know that that won't be the case. That's just not, not possible. I don't, the group is not possible of reaching the extremes of an emotion without acting irrationally. The worst case scenario is that the unrest again spreads to cities all across the country in another round of reckless destruction of private businesses and disgusting cowardly attacks on law enforcement. It's sad to say, but the seasons are changing and there aren't many more opportunities for rioters in the northern cities to throw their public tantrums before hibernating back in the basement with mom's panties in a hot pocket. Uh, so uh, the senseless nature of these riots across the country is still mind-boggling to me and as I've discussed before with regard to my trip to Kenosha the people that are being hurt the most are the ones these short-sighted minions claim to be standing up for now, I have to believe that sooner or later the black community is going to strike back at these rioters like any culture the black culture is rich with pride and like any culture it's also rife with people who disregard the roots and make the rest look bad just disgustingly bad and right now that's exactly what BLM has done they have destroyed their own communities and the cause. It's sad, it's disgusting, and when you see it firsthand like I did in Kenosha, you really get a feel uh, for how devastating it is. Anyway, watch Louisville and be prepared in your hometowns. I recently podcasted about ways to defend yourself from mob violence. Um, if you find yourself out in it, especially with your families, you can find that podcast in the list at your favorite platforms also. Or go to the podcast tab at my website, www.exposingliberalbs.com. Be prepared out there, and Louisville isn't the only flashpoint. The Wisconsin AG should be coming out with a decision in the Jacob Blake case soon, too. Uh, they recently brought in a third-party investigator uh, to help look at where their case is at as they have it written right now. I would expect that within a week we're going to get some answers there. And we still have the Kyle Rittenhouse case open as well, and in fact I think his extradition hearing is coming up later this week. Uh, to see if Illinois will extradite him to Wisconsin. And that's likely to happen. But I'm sure his attorneys are already working on a way to keep him locked down somewhere in isolation. Uh, all of these things, though, Louisville, Kenosha, and the nonsense that continues in Portland are all a perpetual powder keg that maintain their momentum because of the most irresponsible group of Democrat leaders 
that we've ever seen in a single period in history in our country. I mean, from Congress to some of these governors to mayoral seats, I cannot think of a time in history when a group of Democrats across the board were more incompetent, more malicious, more dishonest, more heartless, or more disgusting and in violation of their oaths than this current group. I appeal to you to arm yourselves in self-defense if you are able and comfortable to. Know the laws, know your weapon, and carry legally. It is more important now than ever before, I think. Uh, and arm yourselves with knowledge. The left seeks to destroy the truth. We must continue to speak it loudly with conviction and continually repeat and affirm it. Hey, that's all I have today, friends. If you enjoyed the show, I'd be grateful if you'd take a minute to share it with your friends and family. Subscribe and leave me a review if you would be so kind. Those really help out. Uh, feel free to follow and engage with me on Parlor. My handle is at ExposingLibsBS or drop me an email at ExposingLiberalBS at gmail.com. Friends, it is time for all of us to passionately take action. More so than ever, we need to. And we, the people, have a proud history of doing just that. You've been listening to the Federalist Forum. Thank you for your listenership and for your patriotism as we fight together to preserve the founding principles of our constitutional republic. Until next time, sapientia es potentia. Wisdom is power.